0: How are you guys liking Ezekiel so far? Quite a book of the Bible, pretty, uh, pretty crazy stuff. If you were with us on Wednesday night, we saw some real brutal prophet work, man. There's a lot, Ezekiel, pardon me, uh, Ezekiel's running around, you know, cutting his hair all off and weighing it in scales and then taking one third and burning it up, taking another third, throwing it in the air and slicing it up with a knife and chasing it in the wind. Um, uh, what's he doing? People probably thought, man, that Ezekiel, he's... He's wacko, um, but it was all a message. Uh, one third of the hair, he burnt. He said, these are the people of Israel that are gonna be destroyed by the Babylonians. The second group, these are gonna be the people by, slain by the edge of the sword, uh, the hair. Why, why the hair? Hair in the, uh, you know, in the old Hebrew times, well, you know, your beard and your hair represented your dignity and your maturity and, uh, and um, wisdom even. But he said, All of Israel's maturity, wisdom, and honor is going to be gone. Slice and dice, man. So, and then the rest of it's going to be thrown off and uh, chased down and, and put into captivity uh, by the Babylonians. And these are, this was the message of Ezekiel, the prophet. So he had all these sort of pantomimes. Remember, the Lord said, You know, you can't open your mouth, so I'm just going to have you do stuff, like lay on your. Remember, last Sunday, we looked at him laying on his side for 390 days on one side and 40 days on another side. And. We did a bunch of math last week because of Ezekiel. He wasn't saying stuff. He was just doing stuff. Object lessons, really. Well, uh, in this next section, we're going to find ourselves uh, joining Ezekiel, not for pantomiming anymore, but actually for field trips. (laughs) Do you like field trips? Remember when you're in school? I always loved field trips because it was get out of school free day. You know, it was like you didn't have to do a bunch of work in the school. So uh, I love field trips. But Ezekiel's going to lead us on some interesting little field trips uh, as we continue our study through this book. Um, and each field trip has sort of a specific lesson. Uh, for the Jews. And I'd like to draw your attention as we take our text from our upcoming, you know, Wednesday, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, study through the Bible. We take our text from that upcoming passage. So if you would, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter eight uh, for today's study. Ezekiel eight. And we're going to take one of these little trips. And uh, he's going to make a trip there to the Temple Mount uh, in Jerusalem. Um, Now, he, he didn't do this literally because he was in Babylon. So this was sort of a, maybe like one of Ezekiel's sort of visions, but it's like a visionary field trip, if you would, um, like a dream almost. But it all has meaning and it's uh, meant for the Jews to learn much from. So it's Ezekiel chapter 8. We pick up the story in verse 7. Ezekiel 8, 7. And he, the Lord, brought me, Ezekiel, to the door of the court. And when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. And he said unto me, go in and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. Now pause for a second, this is our Indiana Jones. You know, He comes into this dark place and he sees a wall with a chip in it. And he says, now dig, and you will find, and he starts pulling off the old rock of the wall and he finds a door. And what are you gonna do? Well, the Lord says, go into the door and see what? Well, this is not gonna be a pretty sight because it says here, and see the wicked abominations that they do here? Where, at the temple of the, of J- the Jews in Jerusalem? Why would there be any wicked thing there? Well, as it turns out, um, Ezekiel's going to learn something that's going to shock him, I think. And it shocks us every time we find out there's wickedness in certain people. You know, it's interesting how we've seen a lot of famous people, a lot of pastors, a lot of uh, ministry people fall in you know moral failure and all kinds of abominations and stuff like that. The whole me too and you know whether it 's uh you know Bill Cosby or Cuomo or whatever all the uh, things that we hear about people and we 're all shocked i can 't believe that he does those things or did those things or whatever. Um, this is going to be one of those moments ezekiel 's going to see by the Lord what 's going on with the elders of Israel. Uh, we're gonna use the King James term here. Um, you know, it's kind of an interesting word that we don't really use, the ancients. Uh, when we use the word ancients, we're talking about people that are long dead and gone. Um, but in this context, it's more like Ezekiel's seeing the ancients, that is the elders of, or the leaders, uh, even the priests of, of Israel. And so he's about to see what's going on as he goes through this door. Let's, let's check it out. He goes on, and says in verse 10, so I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. And there stood before them 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood Jehozaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand and a thick cloud of incense went up. Now, uh, th- this is an interesting thing. We know who Shaphan is. Remember Shaphan the scribe? Uh, and then we got uh, the son of Shaphan. These are the priests. These are scribes and priests and leaders the ancients. And they look holy. They look holy. How do they look holy? Well, they're there in their you know, uh, leadership form with their censers and their smoke coming from their censers. That, that speaks of their ministry. So there's this outward form of piety and holiness A form of, you might say, religion. Uh, But actually, what's going on is there's all kind of idols and imagery. He sees on the walls these idols uh, that these, these same guys are into. In fact, verse 12. Then he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery. For they say, the Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. These ancients had a mindset of saying, well, God doesn't see what's going on in the chambers of my imagery. What's that? The chambers of imagery. Sounds like a Lord of the Rings kind of place or something. Well, it's actually their brains. It's what's going on in their soul, in their minds, the things that they were doing uh, in, in what they thought was the dark. And that they also thought, man, the Lord doesn't see what's going on in our brains. And also... Uh, the Lord doesn't care about us anymore. He's, he's forsaken the earth. Um, by the way, a lot of our culture today, one of the problems with our culture is that we don't believe God exists anymore. Um, does God care? Or, uh, remember when the, back, I think it was in the 70s, when Time Magazine, you know, front cover, God is dead. Uh, and really, that was the worldview of, of a lot of people, especially in academia and all the uh, so-called intellectuals. They don't believe God cares about the world or even exists for that matter. But as it turns out, that's where these Jews were in the times of Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel. They just said, if God does exist, he's forsaken the world. So we can do whatever we want, especially when it goes to what's going on in our brains and our minds. And And the imagery that Ezekiel saw was horrendous. It's hard for us to get our brain around how bad it was, because you know you and I think, "Oh, so what?" So we saw some idols on a wall, whatever. But actually, the idols and what they represented you know in those days might even cause some of us modern people to blush. Some of the things that they did, um, you see the people of Israel were doing worse than the Canaanites. Did you know that last Wednesday night, if you weren't with us, we read where the Lord indicts the Jews and says, you guys have made even the Canaanites look good. You've taken their sin to a whole new level. And some of the sins of the Canaanites, I can't even mention here on a Sunday morning in mixed company, like it's horrible. Some of the horrible things they were doing on so many levels, sacrificing children to altars on idols like Moloch and Chemosh. Also, they they tended to practice these crazy sexual orgies up in the high places in the mountains. Um, And it also included children and stuff like that. It was a horrible, horrible culture that had sort of crept into the Jewish culture. The Lord said, man, are you kidding me? You're worse than the Canaanites that I kicked out of this land. And you're supposed to be sanctified. You're supposed to be my people. And this is why God is judging the Jews during this time <clears throat> because of their massive rebellion. But it wasn't just the general public. Even the leadership, the ancients were there in the imageries of their minds. They were doing all kinds of evil stuff. And the Lord sees it and he shows Ezekiel and Ezekiel is horrified. We're gonna actually even go further on Wednesday night and see how uh, they're, they're weeping for Tammuz. Uh, if you know about the whole Babylonian pagan religion, uh, Semiramis, Tammuz, we're gonna see that mentioned. We're gonna see how they would worship toward the east and worship the sun uh, and stuff like that, and all kinds of paganism was going on, but it was mostly what was going on in the chambers of his imagery. Um, and, and as it turns out, if you're a Bible reader, one of the things you and I should know about and be aware of, maybe reminded even this morning, is that God sees what's going on in our brains. And not only does he see it, but he cares about it. When was the last time you thought about, wow, the Lord knows everything I'm thinking? Well, well, you might be making the same mistake they were making. Oh, there's what, you know, you know almost 8 billion people on the planet and God cares what's going on in my puny little brain? I don't think so. But don't forget, God is infinite. He's infinite. There's no spread thin God. Oh man, there's so many people, I don't even know what to do with myself. That's not God. God is infinite. He's infinite, powerful. He's infinite in his knowledge, uh, omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence, or omnipotence, the the whole uh, powerful, all powerful, all knowing. And so God can spend 100% of his attention on you but he can't, because he can't, yeah, he can. When you're an infinite God, you can spend 100% on each person. Because if you take any number and divide it by infin- infinity, uh, what's your quotient? It's infinity. Uh, you know, it's like, like you don't run out. So God, his love for you is infinite, but he also knows what's going on in your brain infinitely. And he actually, according to the Bible, he cares about each one of your brains and how you use it. Speaking of using your brain, uh, you know, there were some studies done uh, that I thought were kind of interesting. The National Science Foundation, the average person has about 12,000 <coughs> to 60,000 thoughts per day. That's an interesting thing. Now, they call them thought worms because it's usually not just a, a little thought and then it's gone. It usually, they call it a thought worm. It's something you think about and then you think about it for a little while and then you change thoughts. And those, uh, now I think the funniest part of this study is the difference between one person and another. Some people 12,000, some people 60,000. There's the guy, hey, I have a thought. You know, that there's that guy. Um, and then there's the 60,000 words of, think, oh, think, 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 think. Like, you know, you know, those people that are just constantly thinking about everything? Um, so hopefully, you're somewhere in the middle there, I, I think. But, um, but as it turns out, they've found that uh, in their studies that 80% of what people think about, generally speaking, is a negative thought. That's an interesting thing. 80% of your thought's negative. 90, this is also sort of troubling to me, 95% are exactly the same repetitive thoughts that you had the day before. So you're, you're not thinking about anything new, but you're repeating those 80% negative thoughts day after day after day in your head. Um, and so the big question, you know, we've wrestled with uh, even medically and scientifically and psychologically, they've tried to figure out how do you change a person's way of thinking? Because negative thoughts and unhealthy thoughts come out in so many strange ways. Like even physically in your body, your negativity can actually come out in your health. And like there's some interesting things that that happens with neurology. And we're learning more and more. I would argue that we're only now catching up uh, to the Bible. Science is only now barely catching up to what the Bible's been telling us all along. And I wanna kind of show you how that sort of works out a little bit. the thing about, you know, your thoughts um, is they can, they can sink you if you're not careful. Um, and if you let your thoughts run wild, have you, ever, have you ever had a moment in your life where you realized the way I think is gonna greatly affect what happens next? Um, I'll tell you a quick story that, uh, where I felt that, and I, I think some people feel this more regularly, but this was one time in my life that I really thought, now if I think wrongly here, I could panic. I was really in a place where I thought panic, uh, and and I, I think the Lord maybe allowed me to uh, feel this so that I can know how some people feel um, daily sometimes. I was scuba diving in the Red Sea with my uh, dive buddy, Tad Slaughter. We were down in the Red Sea looking, at, looking for chariot wheels and stuff. Um, we were down about 70, true story, we were down about 70 feet Normally, I bring my own gear because I, I like having my own regs and stuff that I've maintained myself. Because you know, you kind of need air, and if you, if you use the junky rental stuff, sometimes it doesn't work that well. Uh, well, this one time I didn't bring my regs, but I thought, we'll just rent some gear. So I went to that little dive shop in a lot right on the beach, and we rented some stuff. And, um, but the, the, the regs I got that day, man, I could tell. I just, just looking at it, I thought, oh man, I'm putting my life in the hands of some scuba dive shop uh, on the, in the Middle East. Um, but, but anyway, we went down and sure enough, as I'm going down, you know, dropping down, I, I just sense that it's not my regs. Uh, I have balanced regs and it's almost like it gently pushes air into your lungs and you just, it's, you feel better diving with my stuff. With this rental stuff, I was like trying to suck air out of this tank, you know, it was like, it was, and so you're already dropping down. It's already kind of, and I just started feeling like walls closing in on me just a little bit, but I thought, No. Just keep your brain calm and just breathe. And, you know, and I, and, you know I've, I've done you know, lots of diving, so it wasn't like it was new or anything. I wasn't freaking out about that, but I was thinking, this is sketchy. So we're down there about 70 feet, and it just seems the deeper I go, the harder it is to breathe. And, um, and, and then my, my um, oxygen level uh, gauge was doing weird things. One minute I'd look at it, it'd be over here, and the next minute it'd be over there, and it was like kind of all over. And I was thinking, man, this is so sketchy. So I finally signaled Tad. You know, like like a little sketchy on the reg and and uh, we, I can, you know, you do your sig- signaling, and so I was I was like like you know let's surface, you know let's 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 go up, uh, which I never do. Like if that's going to stay down as long as possible, that's me. But I'm like no, let's go. And Tad's like no no let's not go down. less I'm like, I got to go up. Like <laughs> it's, it's like, um, and, uh, so. So what we decided uh, through sign language is that we'd, we'd sort of go slowly up toward the surface and I'd get at that sort of level where I could be easily you know, decompressing and making sure that I could surface at any moment, which was, turns out, that was a brilliant plan. Tad was down there exploring while I was up here. Not the greatest dive buddy in the world, Tad. Um, <laughs> he's down there having fun while I'm kind of up here. And sure enough, I'm just breathing there and all of a sudden, it was it. Just zero air. And I, I remember at this point, I could do one thing. I could panic, but that wouldn't help. That only makes things worse when you panic. And I thought I could, I could go down, back down to TAD and we could do the buddy breathe thing, you know, where you train as a diver, you can share your, your oxygen. And I could do that, or I could just pop out of the water. And it was a little sketchy, like whether I should pop up or go back down. It was kind of in between. My dive computer was saying, uh, you still need a few more minutes of you know, time at this level. But I just, I just remember thinking, I, I, I'm gonna die here in Israel. They're gonna find my lungs over there and me over there, and it's gonna be like this horrible mess. And, um, but I finally just popped up out of the water. Uh, but I, I remember just thinking, wow, if, if I let my brain, I could just tell, I was in this moment, if I let my brain go the wrong direction for a half a second, I would truly be in a state of total panic. Um, and, and I remember coming out of there thinking, you know, I think that, that there's people that feel that every day of their lives. I think the Lord gave me that little snapshot, just I have a new compassion. You know, there's people that, that can't even come into a room like this because of, you know, social anxiety. Like you come into a church service and people just get really like nervous. And, and, um, and I, 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 I have a new compassion for that. And, and But it's part of this mind that we wrestle with what's going on in our brains um, and how we control our brains. And as it turns out, science is saying, wow, you can start changing the the neurology, the neuropathways. There's fancy names like neuroplasticity that people like talking about now where you can sort of retrain the brain. We'll talk about that in a second. But the Bible teaches us that what is going on inside of the person is kind of what matters more than even what goes on outside of the person. We tend to focus on all the externals when the Bible says it's what's inside of the person. There's an old pastor uh, from a generation ago, J. Wilbur Chapman, who said, "'It is not the ship in the water, but the water in the ship that sinks it. So it is not the Christian in the world, but it is the world in the Christian that constitutes the danger.'" It's what's inside, Jesus talked about it's, it's what's coming from the inside of a man that defiles him to the outside. Uh, it's not the outside of the man, uh, interesting thing. So here with Ezekiel the prophet, the Lord is exposing a problem with the inside, the soul, the mind and what the elders of Israel, and the people of God were, were doing inside and it was destroying them, it was, uh, it was ugly. It was an abomination before God, what was going on in their brains and in the image, uh, the you know, chambers of imagery uh, that was going on there. And so really, if we just have two points this morning. Number one, a problem exposed. The problem exposed that which was going on in the inside, the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, interestingly, the Bible tells us that there's something that sort of shows you what's going on in your heart and in your mind. Um, what is that? Well, uh, jot this down in your notes, Hebrews four twelve through 13. It says, For the word of God is quick or living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and that is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest or literally made known in his sight but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. This is what the men of Ezekiel's time didn't understand, that God sees it all. He sees what's going on inside your soul and your heart and your thoughts. Everything's open and naked before the Lord with whom we have to do. And what is it that helps us discern what's right and wrong in our soul, it's the Word of God, the sharper, living, powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. And it says, and, it, and the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. One of the things the Bible will do for you, if you let it, is when you read the Bible, it sort of sorts out what's good and bad and ugly in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, in your psyche, whatever you wanna call it. The world calls it the psyche, Uh, The Greek word for soul in the Greek New Testament is psyche. Uh, So it's the same thing we're talking about, the soul, the psyche, the mind, the emotions. But it's the word that discerns whether what's going on in there is good or bad or ugly. Um, You know, uh, the psalmist declared in Psalm 44, verses 20 and 21... If we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? In other words, he'll see it if you're seeking after strange gods, for he knows the secrets of the heart. Well, good news, Brett, I haven't worshiped Baal or Ashtaroth or, you know, Chemosh or Moloch, the gods of the Hebrew times. and you might be right about that, literally worshiping, you know, Chemosh, good for you, Dagon, whatever, that's great. But, but you know, the same things that were behind those idols are alive and well today. And they're still battling for your brain. Um, you know, there were, there were gods and goddesses that they'd worship to cheer themselves up. There were gods and goddesses that they would worship just for sexual pleasure. There were gods and goddesses they'd worship for financial gain and greediness. They all had, but behind every god was a notion. Um, so we have the same things, they're alive and well. We don't worship Astrath or Diana. You know, Diana was this, this stone god of, with multi-breasted imagery. Uh, she had hundreds of breasts and she, it was this kind of ugly goddess that they'd worship. And, and when you'd go to the temple to the goddess Diana Which, by the way, some of the amazing archaeological digs in Ephesus shows one of the biggest temples to Diana in the world at that time. Ephesus, where Timothy was a pastor, where Paul preached. Um, And this goddess Diana, what they would do with this temple is they had these little miniature stages on the front face of this, this big fancy temple in Ephesus. You can see it today. It's still there. Or the ruins are. And these little niches or little miniature stage, they would have these women seductively dancing in each one of these little stages, luring the travelers to come worship Diana. And they'd go in and, and have all kinds of sexual you know, orgies and what have you going on in these uh, places of worship. It's the same thing as pornography. It, it just, we just don't call it Diana. We don't have a temple, but the temple is the internet. And uh, there's still the seduction and the lure of sexual promiscuity and lust. It's the same thing. And as it turns out, the Lord says, he sees what's going on in the secret places of your heart. And, and if we've forgotten the name of our Lord, um, and we've stretched out our hands to strange gods, the Lord says, don't you know uh, I will see this? I, that's what it says when I will search this out. I will see what's going on in the imagery of your mind. Um, that's a little scary when you think about what the Lord, you know, and it's not just thing. you know, there might even be seemingly uh, where we have victimized ourselves so much. We don't look at things with the same perspective, but, you know, it's easy to talk about pornography and the stronghold that's in a, in a, in a person's heart uh, and how they are attacked by that. But what about the stronghold of depression? That's not sinful, Brett. Yeah, but it's from the enemy, maybe. Couldn't it be that the enemy, does the Lord want us to be depressed? Is that the Lord saying, yes, be depressed? No, you know, the Bible talks about rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I mean, the Lord uh, wants us to be joyful people, but the enemy, Satan, wants to mess you up, and he wants to put a little stronghold in your soul, in your mind, that's going to be there as a little fortress. And, and at the least opportune moments, the enemy attacks from that fortress in your soul. Um, what do we do about this? When we have these Things going on in the chambers of our imagery. And man, I could go on and on about the little strongholds. Every one of us have different fortresses built up in our soul, in our mind, in our thoughts that have to do with either lust or greed or uh, envy or jealousy or hatred or anger. Like, like the list is long of the things that could be messed up in our minds, in our souls. And that's just the sad truth. And, and, and what's interesting, when humanity goes unchecked on this, where we, instead of trying to fix that problem, we just say, you know, that's just the way it is. My mind is my mind and that's it. And when it goes unchecked, our minds will only snowball even worse and worse into those chambers of imagery where pretty soon your mind, your soul is kind of a real mess. Is this important to God um, that our minds, that we take control? Well, the Bible's gonna give some language, I'll show you in a second, that we're supposed to take captive our thoughts. We're to tear down those strongholds that are in our mind and in our emotion. The Bible doesn't say you just leave them, hey, it's my mind. My mind is my mind, so whatever. Lord, you have to deal with it. That's the attitude of so many. But where did that get the people of Noah's day? Interestingly enough, Genesis chapter six, verse five, it says, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is one of the like seven, there's there's like seven, maybe nine uh, things that, th- that are listed in the Bible as the days of Noah. Should you care about what the days of Noah were like? Anybody? Why should we care about what the days of Noah were like? Anybody? It's like now, Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 37, Jesus said, even as in the days of Noah, that's what it's gonna be like in the second coming. Like if we study the days of Noah, the Bible tells us that, guess what? when the end of the world is near, it's going to be like the days of Noah. And I'm, I'm telling you, if you study the days of Noah, you'll be shocked at how, wow, it's like 2021. Uh, it's really, there, there, was, there was pandemics and diseases going on. There was, um, there was population explosion. There was violence. Do we have, we don't have violence. Man, Portland has become nuts. We have some guys here uh, from out of town, great dudes that are helping us with some of our tech stuff. And, um, and uh, somebody booked their hotel in downtown. <laughs> yeah, was <everybody's> like, whoa. <laughs> they had quite a show the night before last. They were out there, whoa, we're in Portland and it's like Armageddon down there. But um, uh, they, they were trying to burn down the Apple store. I don't know if you saw it. They were close, they were pretty close. But fortunately, the fire teams got there and got the pretty raging fire out. But you know, we just, our is just, told, we've lost it. Um, but violence, population explosion, corruption, evil, unchecked stuff. But one of the list of seven things that marked those days is the thoughts and the imagination of the of the heart of man was only continually evil. Have you ever just thought, man, people have such dirty minds. Like, like um, if you ever um, listen to comedians, for example, it's hard to find a comedian that just doesn't point after point, gig after gig, bit after bit, just have slimy, sinful, grotesque stuff that we're all laughing about today. Um, watch the, you shouldn't watch, but movie trailers and, and advertisements for shows. It's like, what do they have? This woman slept with her and, and they got this and that and uh, adultery and fornication and murder and violence. And it's like, ooh, I'm gonna watch that. That looks really exciting. Uh, it's like we use, our thoughts are just continually evil. Um, You know, and and as it turns out, we're inventing evil things. You know, um, one of the the things that comes out of trials and difficulties, uh, as it turns out for humanity, is evil comes from that. Like, for example, this coronavirus lockdown, experts on sexuality are concerned. Why? Because husbands and wives are not having romance anymore. There's no sex in marriage. And it's like they've said it's just plummeted. Uh, and and they 're worried about just the sex life you, you know what is on the rise though and uh this this is horrifying to me, um, but this whole thing of these sex uh robots uh that 's on the rise and and the news is <clears throat> covering all this stuff about how there 's these lifelike like robotic uh, uh, things that are just big sex toys and we 're we 're coming up with high tech the the best robotic science out there is with these sex dolls it 's like it 's like humanity we're just totally messed up. You know, it's interesting. Uh, if you look at history with an honest perspective, some of the greatest inventions throughout all of history came out of sinful humanity, like the sinfulness. For example, what's the greatest thing that brought more invention than anything? War. Whenever there's been warfare, that's when we, our tech goes up exponentially. You know, especially with the big World War World War I, World War II, that's where we had massive tech. Uh, that's where you know the atomic bomb came out of the necessity to kill as many people as possible. Like it's an amazing thing how just human nature, we just get more and more able to think about things that are just totally gross and sinful. That's just what comes out of our, our str- struggles and our trial. And that was a mark of Noah's day, and it's a mark of our day as well. The thoughts of men and his heart were only evil continually. We see that in our music. We see that in our movies. We see it in our discussions, in our newspapers, and our magazines that everybody gets into and all that stuff. Um, so... That's Noah's day, how are we doing today? Well, even in the New Testament, Paul said to the Roman church, he said, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in what? Their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. And then he goes on, you know, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. You know, it's like, and then the Lord says, and he gave them over to those lusts and those sinful things. God just said, okay, there's a point of no return where the Lord's gonna eventually, uh, um, you know, say you're done, like you did in the days of Noah. Now, what's funny is we tend to dismiss certain things. Well, it's just harmless thoughts that I have. Nobody has to know what I'm thinking. Um, And, you know, who cares? So I I have a little thought. You know, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, he upped the game on this by uh, quite a bit. I'd say exponentially, you know, when, when uh, the Pharisees, they used to look, you know walk around, some of them were looking down to the ground because they didn't wanna look at a woman and, and the less they might have lust in their heart. So they looked down and walk around. They called them the bump and stumble Pharisees because they'd bump into stuff. That's a true story, look it up. Um, but these guys who thought they were so pious and that they'd never committed adultery Jesus upped the game there in Matthew chapter five verse twenty-seven. He says, "You have heard that in the of old that thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart." Does your thought life matter? And the answer, according to Jesus, is yes. And God sees everything that you're thinking. Um, and it it's, it's actually means a lot to the Lord to know what's going on in your brain. Now, this might be troubling for some of you. How troubling? Like uh, I always like to think of this, you know, um, can you imagine? The technology is getting closer and closer I used to say this thinking it would never happen. But the technology, you know, Elon Musk is wanting to put a chip in your brain. Like he's already working, he just came out last week that he's making great progress and it's gonna make these, you know, uh, make us much more productive and superhumans and stuff. Um, (laughs) So-called. But what if we had the technology right now? Hey guys, Elon Musk is here this morning and he's got this cool thing. All you have to do is, is uh, they hook these little electrodes to your brain. You'll sit right here on this stool and we'll project it right up on this big screen up here. All of your thoughts for the past week. Any volunteers? <laughs> like who in the world would volunteer for that? All the thoughts that you thunk. Ooh, that sounds brutal. Uh, man, uh, what would happen to you if we all saw, would you would we even allow you in our church again? Like we say, sorry, you're not welcome here. <laughs> you're a weirdo. But but guess what? All of us would be in that cat. You know, our brains. It's because what goes on in the in the soul, in the heart, in the man. And so there's this problem that Ezekiel is identifying. You know, um, so we have the problem exposed. Um, but point number two for the day: a solution expressed. Really, the Bible gives us the solution to this problem. As it turns out, we're not gonna find the solution that much in Ezekiel, and I'll tell you why. Because the people are too far gone. They're already too far gone. Their thought life, the chambers of the leaders, imagery, they'd, they'd allowed themselves to go to that point of no return that Romans 1 talks about. So you have to kind of search the rest of the Bible about, well, how do we deal with our thought life? And, and there's some really practical but important things I'd like to give you, and let's just kind of number them real quick. Uh, number one, the solution, and this is the first thing you got to do, is confess our sin to the Lord. That's the first thing you got to do. If you want to fix this problem of your thought life and what's going on in your mind, no matter what it is, if you're uh, lustful or depressed, um, angry angry or uh, anxious, like whatever the issues are that's going on in your soul that's not in line with what God wants for you, how do you do this? Confess it, Lord, forgive me, my thought life is not what you want it to be. It's like when David said in Psalm 19, verses 12 through 13, he said, oh, who can understand his errors or literally sins? He says, cleanse thou me of my secret or from my secret faults or secret sins. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Interesting. Presumption presumption is almost like the Lord doesn't see what's going on in my brain and so I can think whatever I want. That's presumptuous. The Lord says, I see it all. And What's interesting is, Dave, is that these secret sins that are presumptuous, let them not have dominion over me. That's what your thought life, that's what the enemy wants to do. Did you know that the, the enemy Satan, the Bible says he whispers into your soul accusation. He accuses the brethren day and night and he's, the, he's called the devil, the, the deceiver, the liar. And he wants to put, plant those little things in your mind of doubt or depression or anxiety, or lust, or whatever those things are. And he wants to have dominion, take control over you. So David gets this and he says, oh Lord, cleanse thou me of my secret sins, of the presumptuous sins that I think I'm getting away with, that nobody sees, let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Man, confession is the key. First John chapter one verse nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you start with um, you know confession. You got to confess your sins to the Lord. Number two, part of this solution uh, that's expressed: understand the conflict. Understand the conflict. Um, have you ever been in conflict but you didn't know you were in a conflict? That, that's a weird situation. Uh, if you've ever been in that situation where maybe somebody hates you and they're talking about you behind your back and you think they're your best friend, but meanwhile, they're trying to destroy you. Um, I've had people do that even here with me as a pastor. They're acting like they're my friend and then they'd go and say stuff about athe and stuff that was just not true, but kind of interesting. It's like, um, man, there, there's a conflict. I didn't, I didn't even know we were at war. <laughs> interesting but that's one of Satan's specialties. He doesn't want you to realize there's the battle for the brain. There's a battle that's going on. You need to understand the conflict. Um, check this out, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us about the battle of the brain. It says, "For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or you know, practically like you know, guns and knives and stuff, but, but mighty through God to doing what? The pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, that's in your mind. Every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know, you got a picture of the battlefield and warfare. You know, what do you do? Man, you gotta, you gotta defeat the enemy and take captives, like uh, either wipe them out and kill them or take them captivity. And what does it say? You need to take captive those thoughts. So when I was under the water there breathing, thinking, I'm gonna suffocate down here at 70 feet. If I kept thinking about that, um, I could have panicked. And panicking makes you use up more air, which makes the death happen earlier. So you can't do that. You gotta take captive those thoughts and say, you know what, there's answers to my problem here that I am running out of air. I can do this or I can do that, but I'm not gonna panic. And so I had to take captive those thoughts. I think you and I need to learn to do that with spiritual things, whether it's lust or greed or anger, anxiety, learn how to take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ, casting down imaginations, the things that the enemy plants in your heart, saying, oh, you're gonna go down and nobody likes you and everything's horrible, cast those things down, say, I'm gonna do battle against those things. So really, you know, the, the second thing is you got to understand we're at war. Understand the conflict, number two. And then number three, got to then change the way you think. Now, this is where the world is just now trying to catch up with biblical Christianity. Um, and I remember, remember in the 80s and 90s, everybody was into positive affirmation? And we're getting close, but we're still not there. Positive affirmation is ridiculous. And we've talked about this before. As you look in the mirror, I'm smart enough, and I'm good enough, and people like me. And you just tell yourself that and, and change those neuroplasticity by, by talking to yourself and saying positive things. Here's the problem that I have with that. Um, you can look in the mirror and say, I'm smart, and I'm handsome, and, I'm, and people like me. But the problem is people still hate you, and you're still ugly, and you're also dumb. <laughs> that's, that's what I've learned personally. I'm just, from my own experience, uh, um, <laughs> that's the problem. But I got to give credit where credit is. There is blessing, and I, I don't believe in just the power of positive thinking. I think we might need to change that to more of a biblical way. If, if you've been kind of raised, I'm just going to think positive. Um, I'd say you got to have the power of truthful thinking because um, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Yes, change the way you think, but don't just lie to yourself in the, in the mirror. Philippians 4.8 tells us what we're supposed to do with our brains, and it's very clear. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatsoever is tr- or whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Man, there's a nice list for you. I used to teach this to my kids and family devos. Kids, when you're bummed out, what you got to do is teener plap those thoughts. Teener plap? Yeah. If you break these words out right here in this verse—true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy—it spells teener plap. <laughs> now you got to use the NIV Bible because uh, the King James is <laughs> and it doesn't make a nice word. So, so you got to go with the NIV. Um, and I used to tell my kids if, if, you know, one of my kids was walking around the house, you know, I'd say, better teener-plap those thoughts. Um, teener-plap them, yep. And I think some of you guys probably need to learn to teener-plap your thoughts too. Remind each other to teener-plap. If you're a husband and a wife, and the husband, oh man, I'm just, uh, honey, I want to teener-plap those thoughts. And uh, You know what that means, that's Philippians 4.8. Think finally, brothers and sisters. think on these things, whatsoever things are true, noble, praise, right, pure, lovely, admirable, Excellent or praiseworthy. I, I left the E out of there because it's excellent and praiseworthy, or praiseworthy, but you could say Tina plate, uh, if you want to, uh, A-E-P. But either way, that's what we need to do is, is change the way that we are thinking about things. Change the way we think. Um, so science, like I said, is only catching up to this, but, but I love what science is starting to figure out. Um, Those that study neurology and the way your brain works and how it relates to actual the way you feel and even the actions that you do, Um, repetitive thoughts, as they find out, create connections in your brain that quickly become ironclad behaviors. Uh, These thoughts move from conscious to unconscious ways of thinking and being and acting. Um, this is how you tend to move in more of an autopilot mode. Are there things you do on autopilot? Well, the answer is yes. The process you know, of, of learning something. Like, Remember when you first learned how to drive a car? Uh, how many of you guys learned, with, le- learned on a stick shift? Anybody? See, you guys are a rare breed. <laughs> Um, uh, there was there used to be a day where you had a stick shift. You had to push in the clutch, and but I remember when you first did that, your your dad or your mom okay, now you push in the clutch and then you shift the gear. But don't just let the, don't pop the you gotta slow and let it the, the accelerator. You gotta kind of whoo and, and you're like man, this is like juggling. I can't do it. And you're like ah, 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 you know remember that? It's the way you learned. But after a little while, pretty soon, man, you you start getting the feel. and You know okay, I'm gonna get a little more a little more throttle and and pretty soon it's smoother. And after a while, it's amazing how you just drive a stick and you don't even think about it. And some of you ladies, I've seen you, you're driving a stick and you're putting on the lipstick and you're scolding the kids and you're eating your Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and it's just like, it's like, wow, that's impressive. But It's all muscle memory. <laughs> you got that. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's amazing. It's amazing. Gifted. But as it turns out, That's the way your brain works. The more you do something and and muscle memory, playing an instrument, all those things, you you start to do stuff because of repetition and your brain makes those connections. Now, here's the troubling thing. If you wake up, let's just take an example, uh, every morning in Oregon and you look out the window, it's cloudy again. I'm so depressed, I wanna move to Florida. Okay, forget Florida, Arizona. I wanna move. And you just feel yourself down and blue. Well, guess what? The next morning, if you do that again, you're creating these sort of connections in your brain that pretty soon just you associate getting up in the morning with, what a bummer. Even when it's a sunny day, you're like, come on, it's a sunny day. I should be feeling really good today. But if you've created those pathways that just start to become muscle memory in your brain, as it turns out, the process of change requires forgetting what we already know to discover new ways of thinking and being. Um, you know, the world says regular meditation and yoga. <clears throat> no. The Bible says prayer and seeking the Lord and and thinking on things that are true, noble, bright, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy. Changing those thoughts uh, over prayer and meditating on the word is okay. Um, it accelerates as it turns out As you think on these things, the the science is now showing us what the Bible says. It accelerates the achievement of change by repetition. Learning something, they've, they've also found, this is interesting, learning something new after creating those neuro pathways that are so locked in, learning something new requires considerable focused energy and you cannot have your attention divided if you're trying to change. That's an interesting thing. Isn't it interesting that Jesus who was God in the flesh, needed to get away and seek and pray and have time of quietness. Jesus needed that. The same one that just, you know, uh, you know spoke and someone was healed. The same one that turned water into wine. The same one that fed 5,000 with just five loaves and two fishes. Like, this is the same. They said, you know, I need to get away and just take time. Um, I wonder how much more you and I need to have undivided attention uh, focused on change of our minds. Well, I said a quick prayer, God is good, God great, but thanks for the food. So I prayed and I'm still feeling depressed. No, undivided change and repetition to change that, fortunately what science calls neuroplasticity. The Bible says, no, actually you can start to change your mind again, but it takes work and it takes focus. And the Bible has been telling us all along. So learning something new requires that energy. And, and uh, by the way, the older you get, the more energy it takes to change. Did you know that? That's what science is telling us, something we already knew. We have a phrase that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but I think you still can. The Bible tells us you can. So we have the ability to alter by the grace of God. And, and, and you know, I can't say we can do nothing apart from God, but, but change is possible with God. Um, Here's another one for you on this, how do we fix this problem, the solution expressed. The Bible says resist the devil. I told you already the devil is whispering in your ear accusation and lies and all that. Um, Just a quick reminder, James four, seven, submit yourselves to God therefore and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Um, The best example of this is Jesus. Matthew four was led out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And every time the devil tempted him, he would speak back scripture, remember that? Hey, you're hungry, you've been starving for 40 days. Turn these stones into bread. And what did Jesus do? This is how you change your mind. This is how you create the the pattern of of muscle memory. Jesus said, you know, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Like Jesus was perfect and he knew how to deal with that lie, that temptation that was coming into his mind for food. There's nothing worse than the smell of bread when you're starving. And he was saying, I know you're starving. Uh, hey, there's the Franz Bakery right here. Can you smell it? <laughs> Turn these stones into bread. I probably would've been, ding, okay, we've got cinnamon rolls and, and uh, you know, um, what is that, uh, Krispy Kremes and all kinds of, but Jesus, Jesus resisted the devil. And four times the devil said something, four times Jesus spoke scripture and then eventually what happened the devil left him resist the devil and he will flee another solution the bible gives us to this battle of the brain is is to overcome evil with good you guys know it romans 12:21 it says be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good um you know, it, it, again, the scuba diving example, um, if, if that's starting to overcome or overwhelm me, it puts me into a panic and a spin. So you've got you've to start pushing back. Um, and so when you feel that sense, and maybe it is literally social anxiety and panic. You've got you've to do the work and it's not always easy, um, but you've got to start speaking uh, and doing battle with it. Maybe, do you have ammo versus? What do you mean ammo versus? Um, well, the power of scripture, when Jesus was tempted, he always spoke scripture. So if you're, let's just talk to the person who comes into a church that I can't go to church anymore. I feel that anxiety. soon. I'm in a crowd and I just feel like I'm going to freak out or scream and I'm going to do something weird. And the deacons are going to have to haul me out of here. Uh, you're like, this is horrible. I got to, Hey, learn to don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil is good. Have some ammo scripture, like, like famous ones, like Second Timothy chapter 1, you know, it reminds us that we, you and I, are not to be given over to a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Like have that on the tip of your tongue, just like Jesus spoke the word out. That's that's the way you overcome evil with good. So every time Satan fires that fiery dart, <clears throat> be ready with scripture. There's your, you're <clears throat> your just going along thinking good things and <clears throat> loving the Lord and Suddenly, Satan fires that lustful thought in your head. James chapter one, verse 12, blessed is the man that endures temptation for when he has tried, he will receive the crown of life, which is promised to those that love the Lord. Ammo scripture. Every time Satan fires one at you, you fire back scripture. It doesn't even have to be scripture, by the way. Um, Let's say you're feeling depressed and you feel like Satan has kind of put that, you're like, where did that come from? I was feeling great yesterday and today I'm just down again. What do you do? Don't be overcome by that evil. Overcome evil with good. Maybe you have three friends that wrestle with depression. Wouldn't it be great if every time Satan kind of throws that depression into your heart, you go to your knees and say, I'm going to now pray for three of my best buddies who struggle with it. Lord, I pray for so-and-so who's prone to feeling the way I feel today. Lord, would you encourage their soul today? Fill them with that joy. Lord, I pray for such and such, this this person. I know that the other day something bad happened. Help them to just get through that with joy and may your joy be their strength. Like just start praying. Can you imagine every time Satan attacks you, you just start praying and the power of prayer is real. So you're, you're doing battle suddenly. Eventually resist the devil and what's gonna happen? What will he do? Do I have to teach this all over again? (laughs) <laughs> Resist the devil and he will. Please. Yes, thank you. <laughs> that, that, that's so good. Listen. Listen. Have the things to do that, that where you're not being overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm angry. Why? My neighbor's garbage cans are always in my driveway and I have to, like, uh, who am I? Murray and Jenny having to drive around these cones of trash cans. Don't be overcome by evil. It's not that a, your neighbor is evil, you're evil. So what do you got to do? You got to overcome that evil with good. You, you lovingly bring their trash can in for them. Um, and, and when you mow the lawn, instead of getting out your tape measure, this is still my property. I'm going to make sure not mow any of their blades of grass. And there's this perfect line. No, just mow the whole thing and don't be a weirdo. Instead of being mad and angry, overcome evil with good. It's stuff that goes on in your heart and your mind. And God sees it and he cares about it, and it's important. So important is the imagination of the mind and what's going on in the head um, that God takes this whole section of Ezekiel and says, listen, Ezekiel, you need to see what's going on in the minds, in the chambers of imagery, in the hearts of the leaders of Israel, it's not good. It needs to be fixed. And so bad was it that the Lord said, I'm gonna judge the whole world in the times of Noah. It was one of the big reasons why the Lord said their thoughts were evil continually, so I'm gonna destroy the world. And that's also one of the problems of the last days. You and I, today, we need to do battle, the battle for the brain. And we've given you some tools, some weapons uh, that we can use to see some victory. May the Lord give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this reminder from Ezekiel, um, this little field trip, seeing what was behind the creepy door. Um, Lord, I pray that you would help your word to, to penetrate our hearts into the temple of our hearts, Lord, and, and that we would honestly assess what's going on in our minds. Lord, I pray that each one of us would, would take account and Lord, realize that we're not just here messing around, but there's a battle going on. And I pray that my brothers and sisters watching online or here in the sanctuary would, would have great victory, Lord, in this battle for the brain. Um, I pray that, Lord, we would start just brand new this morning as you tell us if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we take this time, Lord, as we close the service to go to your table. What a, what a great opportunity, Lord, to go to your table of communion that you've, you've spread out before us in the presence of our enemies. And Lord, that your cup runneth over, the cup of mercy, the the cup of Christ, the blood of Jesus, Lord, that washes our sins away. And so, Lord, I pray if there are anybody that might be watching or here that is not saved, yet to believe in the cross and be a, a Christian. Lord, I pray first and foremost that they would repent of their sins and be saved. Um, Lord, that they would confess their faith that you died on the cross for their sins in their place and that you paid the price for their sins. And then, Lord, you would start giving them great victory over sin and over the challenges of this life, Lord. So we pray blessing now as we consider you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I'd like to, at this time, just to have you take those little packets out, uh, the (laughs) Corona-free packets cracks me up. And um, what I love about these is, um, you know, we get to do what Jesus said. Now, some people say, I this is weird doing it like this. I was raised a Catholic or certain disciplines. The Russian church does it differently than this. Listen, there's a few requirements for communion. One, you need to be a Christian. If you're not a Christian, don't do this because it means nothing to you. And please don't get up and leave at this time. I know it's, it's um, tempting, but this is the most holy part of the service for crying out loud. Uh, unless you're bath, yeah, I've to go to the bathroom. I understand that. But, um, but please, this is not a great, I oh, can get out early. No, this is the Im- important part here. And I even ended early this morning. So um, so here's the thing. Um, Jesus said, do this, eat the bread, drink the cup often in remembrance of me. The, the priest with the tongue thing, that was made up by men. Much, much later, hundreds of years later, made up by men. Um, you know, uh, transubstantiation made up by men. Uh, you know, is the, is the bread literally Jesus' body when you start to put it? Like that's the way some traditions have told you. But I challenge you to read your Bible and realize that, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't agree with transubstantiation of the Catholics, but I also don't agree with a lot of the Protestants who dumbed down communion to be merely just a symbol. The, there's power in what we're about to do here. And that is the body, the blood. We're remembering what Jesus did, but there's power in the body and there's power in the blood. Um, Jesus said, <clears throat> you know, teaches us in his word that the stripes are whipped on Jesus' back. That's how you're healed. Um, I think part of this tearing down of strongholds in our brains is, is the healing that comes from just accepting the work of the cross and remembering. There's um, There's healing. There's power over sin when we remember the body and the blood of Christ. But above all, there's forgiveness and washing. Remember the movie I told you about, the electrodes uh, on your head and showing the movie? Do you want that movie erased? Uh, Do you want to delete that? Well, I do. And guess what? That's what this does. When you confess, Lord, my brain has thought bad things guess what? When you confess and say, Lord, would you forgive me? When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we know that, man, the Lord says, I remember your sins no more. You have a clean slate, clean film. Um, And then we can go out of this place today and not mess it up again. But if we do, good news, we can confess and, and the Lord is faithful and his mercy endures how long? Forever.